the privilege of sitting in a meeting at the back end of last year where uh, a consultant on leadership had flown over from Ireland to help some companies in South Africa. And uh, by God's orchestration, I sat in a meeting that I probably shouldn't be at. And I, I've got a couple of those stories. I think God just uh, does that. And the man stood up and he asked two questions before he introduced himself, before anything. He started with this. What is happening in your organization today that six months from now must stop? And the second question is, what is not happening in your organization today that in six months must have started? Two very profound questions. And uh, he was in an organizational leadership uh, kind of space. And so let's, let's just work through the whole business language and all of that. But the people have got to organize. And these questions are so important for us because they speak to, do we have a clear understanding of our future? If we are uncertain of where we're going, how can we answer the question of what needs to stop and what needs to start? And so I would ask you this question both as us being organized as the people of Anthem, as well as you in the organization of your own life. What is happening in your organization today? What is happening in your inner world today that six months from now must stop? Do you have a picture of a preferred future for your own life? And do you have a picture of a preferred, a preferred future for us as Anthem? I'm going to get to outline that in a little bit more detail this evening. And then what is not happening in your organization? What is not happening in your inner world today that in six months must have started? I'm really excited about our apprenticeship series that we are, the apprentice that we are looking at because it's looking at the organization of our inner world. What needs to stop? What needs to start? And so just have these questions in your mind as we go through tonight. Uh, what is going to be taking place tonight is, uh, is I love the language that Rob gave us really around God gives leaders to people groups and he gives them the requirements as though it's a frame. And like a piece of glass, he used the example of uh, his kid breaking a glass window. And if you go without the requirements, if you go without the size of the frame to the glass cutters, they're going to send you back and say, we can't cut the glass. And we wonder why sometimes our lives go round and round and round because we don't know the measurements of what God's called us to. And we keep kind of trying to move forward, but we're moving forward with the wrong specs or the wrong size. And we keep getting sent back. No, go and relook at the patterns of God. Go and relook at the establishment and the arrangement of our organization as God puts us into formation. Go and relook at that. And if you want to take a step forward, come and present that before God, and we will see that God will start to order the steps. Jesus gives one very simple goal make disciples of all nations. He even doesn't leave the guesswork to us in terms of how to do that. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what's he saying? what he is saying is, introduce them to me, and then allow them, and then teach them to start taking steps of obedience. So baptize them, 
and then teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded. I loved what both Phil and Rob have spoken to us over the last 24 hours, just as they started to put these patterns of God, these things that God has already spoken, these migration elements and these migration thoughts that we are a pilgrim people on a journey with Him. There are already things established in the heavenlies for us on earth that we need to follow. It is not complicated, but it can be challenging for our human hearts. Interesting little example. You may know this. Uh, I learned this the other day. Geese can fly 71% further because they fly in formation. 71% further because they fly in formation. John would know that. No one else in this room would. Each goose, I'm going to read this just so I can get it right because it's quite important to what I'm saying tonight. Each goose gets a lift from the goose in front of it. The head goose who takes the wind is encouraged by the geese behind it as they honk. But there is a lot of honking in the church today that is not encouragement. These are not my words. If one goose gets sick, two other geese fall back and go down to ground until the sick one is better or dies. Then they form a smaller formation until they can find another larger formation until they can find their original formation. I stood up after Rob's speaking session this morning and I was just so compelled. I, I, I knew what I was speaking on tonight and everything was just dovetailing or geese tailing so beautifully. And Jax is right. I, I expect a lot. I, I, I demand maybe strong, but I expect a lot for us, not, not for my benefit, but for our benefit. Who doesn't want to fly 71% further? I am tired of the people of God struggling because they're trying to do things on their own. When God says, I've given you formation, I've given you community, I've given you gifts, I've given you these things so that we can go 71% further. And when one gets sick and drops out, there's a group that's going to stop and look after you and then going to reintegrate you. Our story tonight is about flying in formation that we would honk for the goose in front who would in turn honk for the goose in front and in turn honk for the goose in front in order that we would be honest and optimistic. In order that we would keep progressing further and further. This is unfortunately what the majority of people, so this is a general statement. This may be true of you. It may not be. I'm going to ask some questions of us tonight that if we take to heart, we are going to leave here a little bit Wow, I, I've got to answer that. And that's part of what a vision weekend does, is it, is it paints a picture and we've got to place ourselves, well, where are we in the story and what do I need to stop or introduce into my life in order to make that? But the reality is most people tend to protect their position as opposed to cheer on someone else in position. So what, happens with, what happened with the early settlers in this nation is uh, guys came and there were established humanity groups. I'm not talking, this is not a, a political thing, so just listen to the story without prejudging, oh no, Richard's going into all of that again. But what would happen is as the guys were going on their wagons, 
as they were going forward in a straight line, they realized that they were exposed and vulnerable to attack. And so what ends up happening is you end up what they call circling the wagons in order to protect your backside. The problem when you circle the wagons is there's no forward movement. And so as soon as you go into protectionist mode, you're never going to advance the kingdom. As soon as you're worried about your own life and wanting to protect your own life and how the church is serving you and how you need to be provided for and all of those things, as soon as you go into protection mode, you will never advance forward because it's always about protecting the backside. And so we want to be a people that are prepared to live in the vulnerable and exposed. Rob spoke earlier today around how the migration is so important for the sustenance of whatever animal group it is that's migrating because that's where the food sources are going, but it does leave them exposed to predators that are coming out to join those. they got free food. And likewise with us, it is a very vulnerable and exposing time when God is calling us to move. We've had such a great time of circling the wagons for the last 49 years here in Durban North, we've been able to grow strong and we've been able to put roots down deep and we've been able to have incredible influential moments and, and all of this is good. And so a proposed move is not because this is bad. A proposed move is because God has said it is now time for the next season of the journey. And so we say thank you God for what you've done and thank you that there's still a purpose and a future and we are not, we're going to break ranks, we're going to break the, the, the camp, and we're going to risk being exposed and vulnerable in order to take hold of the new. Because God is good, His plans are perfect, His ways are not our ways, and therefore it's a test of whether we trust Him. Our discipline and our consistency will depend upon whether we trust God in this process of being able to expose ourselves and be vulnerable in this transition. God spoke to me out of 1 Kings chapter 4, which is the basis of this summit and therefore how we are working this out. And so I want to just spend some time, I want to read 1 Kings 3 and I want to read a little bit of 1 Kings 4 because this is what God has been ministering to me and I'm going to paint for the four corners of the window today, the four corners of the territory, the four corners, whichever language you want to use of the frame, so we can say these are the requirements and this is what we are building and this is the size glass we're going to put in so that other people can see through the window and see a greater future. 1 Kings chapter 3 and we're going to start in verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father David. Just interesting that God considered Solomon to be showing his love for God by obeying his father. Except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So here's this man who is honoring God by honoring his father and God is pleased with him, but he's got some mess in his life. That's what the scripture is saying. He's got some mess in his life. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. So basically what Solomon is doing is in this moment, he's not pleasing God. 
In this moment, he's taking things into his own hand and he's offering on the, high, on the altar at the high, on the high place and he's, he's, he's having a moment of against the patterns of God, the moment of missing the mark, sin, armatia, missing, missing the mark, the, the things of God. But look what God does. At Gibeon, where he's offering sacrifices, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. If you are sitting here this evening, just a moment aside from this, if you are sitting here this evening and you do not believe that God is kind and merciful, this scripture would beg to differ with you. To say that in the midst of the mess of our lives, in the midst of us maybe doing some things that we shouldn't be doing, God will still come and say, what can I do for you? Our God is very merciful. He is very kind. And His grace will lead us into repentance and into a better path and pattern. But I do want to tell you that whatever the state of your life now, God desires to come to be with you. Solomon answered, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. And so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? What a great disposition to have. God, would you help me see right from wrong? Would you help me to, I think we're going to get to this, administer justice. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, and so God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Amazing mercy given to a man who is sacrificing to other gods on an altar. God can take your life and work it to a place of bringing glory to Him. That's the precursor to 1 Kings chapter 4, the next chapter. And now I'm just going to pull out a couple of verses because this creates the framework for our go forward. The people of Judah and Israel, uh, sorry, 1 Kings 4 verse 20. 1 Kings 4 verse 20. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the, as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. Doesn't that sound good? Eat, drink, and be happy with a whole bunch of other friends on the beach. Verse 25. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Doesn't that sound good? Verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Verse 34, from all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. 
Solomon asks for wisdom, and a couple of things transpire. One, a great number of people follow him as numerous as the sand of the seashore. Two, they ate, they drank, and they were happy. Three, everyone under their own vine and fig tree. Four, they lived in safety and peace, had peace on all sides. And five, the world took notice and came to ask questions and seek answers. So this is what happens to me when the church seeks wisdom, insight, and understanding, and then through the renewing of our minds and the renewing of our hearts and the transformation becoming something different, this is the outcome. One, a great number of people follow him. For me, it speaks to increase. When we seek the wisdom, insight, and understanding, and our lives start to model the wisdom, insight, and understanding of God, there is increase. Number two, they ate, they drank, and they were happy, and everyone under their own vine and fig tree. It speaks to me of, um, uh, what does it speak to me of? Provision. Oh, it's on my notes. It speaks to me of provision. <laughs> I, I do need glasses. Number three, they lived in safety and peace on all sides. That speaks of reconciliation. And number four, the world took notice and came to ask questions and seek answers, speaks of beyond the neighborhood. This is not language that has not been heard in this church over the last year. God is not redefining our vision. He is bringing greater clarity to it, greater definition, greater patterns, greater outline in order for us to cut the right, seas of the right uh, size of glass. So what does increase speak to? So I'm going to talk to these four things. So if you could picture it as the four corners of a window, and that window is where we're able to see through and invite other people to see through into what God has for us. And so the four corners, the first one would be increase. And this to me is on two things. It's both an increase in numbers and an increase in quality of life. Why? Because we see when the gospel takes hold of people and the gospel is proclaimed, we see it in Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 5, and going through the book of Acts, what happens? More people get added. More people get added. And so here's the, here's the question that we have to answer. Are people getting added to the kingdom because of you? Because the gospel tells me the Word of God tells me that if the gospel has taken root in me, increase is the outcome. That is a, that's a hard question to have to face up to. But it's a question that we need to as we take hold of what God is calling us to because we're looking to be transformed together. We want to honk for one another and we're going to go 71% further because we're going to go 72% further because we're better than geese. There has to be an increase in numbers. And not because of the generic, well, anthem is growing. No, because you're growing and I'm growing. Second thing it speaks to is that there is an increase in quality of life. John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. It's why we have 
on all of our, our stuff, Anthem, leading people to life, there has to be an increase in quality of life. If our lives does not lead to others having an increase in quality of life, we've got to ask ourselves this question, has the gospel got into us? See, if our leadership, and I'm not talking about Richard and Jackie here on the leadership of this church, if our leadership, if what we represent in, as the church leading the way in culture and community, if our leadership does not result in increased numbers and increased quality of life, then we have to take a good look at how we organize ourselves in formation, and we have to give consideration to this. So in this leadership moment that I had, I'm probably not going to be able to pronounce this guy's name, but I do want to give him credit, Claudio Fernandez Arios. He says this, the question is not whether your company's employees and leaders have the right skills, it is whether they have the potential to learn new ones. And so I feel like God would say that to us. It's not about whether you've got the right skills now. It's about whether you are open to the continual transformational process of the Spirit of God as He takes us on a journey. Or do we get to the point where we just say, well, that's who I am. Take it or leave it. See, the gospel has to transform us to the day we take our last breath because that's what the Spirit of God does. And so the transformational process never ends. Are we prepared to go on that journey? This will come up uh, behind us. Jack Welch, some of you will know him, a, a famous business guy. He says, as an organization's ability to learn and translate is really what, uh, what leadership is about. And he says this, it's the potential to learn, it's the motivation to learn, and it's the availability to learn. And so I would ask us this. Well, I, I'm going to say some things and then ask us this. Potential to learn? We have this. Because in our midst, we have diverse contexts and socioeconomic backgrounds and educational state. We, amongst us, we have the potential to learn. Where we maybe score a little bit lower is the motivation to learn. Because we've circled the wagon and we like to protect what we have. And therefore not be exposed and vulnerable to what God may have for us going forward. And so our motivation to learn maybe is a little bit lower than our potential to learn. But even if we go all right in that, our availability to learn, and here is where it really, the rubber hits the road for me. Because our availability to learn says, okay, I've got the motivation to learn, but I'm also prepared to reorganize my life in such a way that I will incorporate new things so that in six months' time, what's gone should be gone and what's in should be in. And so do we have the availability to learn? That's the bottom of those three, but kind of the most important. Are we prepared to change up our lives? Because God is forming us as a people. He is transforming us as a people. The, the deal for us is not cornubia. The deal for us is that God is forming us into a people that He desires to reach the city of Durban and disciple the nations. Because that is His call. Will you disciple the nations? And so He wants us as a people to play that role. And He's saying, okay, well, right now you've been here for 49 years. You've kind of circled the wagons. Maybe you need to get out into formation again and go and move to somewhere else. It's not about cornubia. It's about what He's transforming us into. Are we prepared to go on that journey? It's quite interesting. Who you really are and who you think you are are probably different. I want to say that again. Who you really are and who you think you are are probably different. Who you really are comes out under pressure. 
So just a little medical study, and then we're going to kind of translate it into our church world. Is that okay? So at between 60 and 100 beats per minute, you have 98 to 100% clarity of thought and decision making. At 120 beats per minute of your heart, your cognitive ability drops to 30%. You lose 70% of your cognitive ability when your heart rate goes from 100 to 120. At 175 beats per minute, your ability drops to 3%. 3%. So next time you shout at the sportsman and their heart rate is up at 190 beats per minute and they make a silly decision, don't shout at them because we would all do the same thing. We do not have cognitive clarity. The point of this is this, that under pressure, the real us comes out. When we're not under pressure, we, we have the ability, the willpower to portray what we know we should be, even if that's not who we are. But under pressure, our willpower is lost, and what gets revealed is who we are. And so who we are as a church gets revealed when we now get put under pressure to say, we're going to leave this place, we're going to go on a journey, and it's going to cost us resource, it's going to cost us energy, it's going to cost us time, it's going to cost us stylistic things, it's going to cost us a whole bunch of things that I don't even know what it's going to cost us because we're going to still confront it as we go on the journey. But God has called. But God has called. Who are we? Why did the Israelites who were freed from slavery not walk into their full inheritance well, God, God speaks to Joshua specifically on this, and he says, you have to renew your minds. I love this. I think it was Paul that said it 18 months ago. Our future is not before us, it is within us. And why is it within us? Well, actually, the speed of moving into your inheritance is at the speed of obedience to God. And therefore, it's within you. God has, God has outlined the pattern. He has outlined Dan to Beersheba and this river to that river. He, he's outlined it. He's given it to us as a gift. It's ours. But the speed of us taking hold of that is largely at the speed with which we'll transform ourselves in order to take hold of it because that's what he wants. He wants a prepared people to take hold, to reach a people in order to disciple the nation. The challenge with growth, we're talking about increase here, is that it requires an update. I got this from T.D. Jakes. A couple of us were at a meeting with him uh, last year and used an example like our, our phones. It's like these updates. If you don't get the update, your phone starts to fall behind and certain things don't function. And that's what happens with growth. When more people, when there's increase, we can't keep doing things the way that we always used to. There has to be an update. There's an operating system update. And so increase is going to put pressure on us because we're going to have to relook at our formation. We have to relook at how we organize ourselves. We're going to be asking those questions. Well, what in six months? Maybe today, six months from now, we need this. We get to six months' time, we now relook. That thing now has to fall by the wayside, and there's another thing. The speed of change in this world is frighteningly quick, and humans are frighteningly bad at accepting change. All of us. That's not a finger point. That's a, we just wish that we could have stability. And then we realize our stability is Jesus. Everything else chops and changes all the time. You may remember this. I was just reminded of it while prepping this. 
It's not about, this is Paul's language, and then into, I had two boxes on the stage. Some of you will know where I go. It's not about the vision you have. It's about what vision has you. And we will always get pulled towards our bigger objects. We are 119 years old as a church now. 1901. That is a big past. It's a big past. And then Scripture comes and says, forgetting what's gone before. Forgetting. Phil, Phil said that, and it's like, it feels offensive to forget what's gone before. But the Scriptures say, actually, you cannot take hold of what lies ahead unless, unless what lies ahead is a bigger object than what's gone before. Because gravity says you'll always pull towards the bigger object. And as we get older, we've spoken about this, as we get older, our past is the bigger object. And so we have to continually frame our future in such a way that even though we're getting older, there is still a bigger future ahead of us. Because otherwise we will keep saying, when we, when we, when we. But forgetting what lies, forgetting what's gone before, we take hold of. Second thing, second corner of the window, provision. Provision. I heard of this story the other day. I'm going to read it because it's, it's really good and I don't want to mess it up, if I may. There once was a judo master whose student was involved in a serious vehicle accident. And the 10-year-old boy's arm was so badly injured that it had to be amputated. Everyone thought that that would be the end of the boy's judo aspirations. However, the loss of an arm only increased the boy's determination to compete. And so despite amputation, the judo master agreed to continue training the boy. But he focused all the training on one extremely difficult move. The boy complained, wanting to be just like the others who were learning all aspects of the sport. And the old master convinced his one-armed student not to question but to learn. And so they practiced that one move day after day, week after week, month after month. Eventually, the one-armed boy was allowed to enter a judo tournament where he surprised everyone by advancing through the several rounds and into the finals. His opponent in the championship round was a faster, stronger, and more, was faster, stronger, and more experienced. This boy seemed completely outmatched, and spectators admired his courage and determination but felt sorry for him. Then at one point in the contest, the superior athlete lost concentration, and at that moment, the one-armed boy executed on his move. There was nothing his opponent could do to escape. After the match, everyone wanted to know how a one-armed boy could possibly be the champion. He won for two reasons, his teacher answered. First of all, he has mastered one of the most difficult moves in all of judo. Second, the only defense against this move is to grab your opponent's left arm. We so often see our backgrounds, our current circumstances, etc., as our loss. But where could it be our advantage? You see, Anthem has a genetic code to use Phil's example of the tree. There are faster and stronger and better churches by observation out there. And so often we want to be like that. You may want to be like that. You may, you may be sitting here and going, uh, I don't know that I, I, there's better teachers or there's better whatever. Where actually God is saying, Anthem, I have called you to this and this is your one move. This is your one move. And can you execute on it excellently because you will defeat those who stand in your way. If you will master the move. 
It's not a foregone conclusion that you will master the move. But can you stop hankering after what everybody else has and will you just commit to the thing that God has put into Anthem, into the genetic code, and will you give of yourself to build and strengthen the outworking of that genetic code so that Anthem will be able to master her move and execute it when the time is right in order that victory may be the Lord's. How does that tie in with provision? Well, I think we have to look for two things. What is the genetic code God has provided us with? And what has he provided you with to contribute into the growth and the strength of developing our genetic code? First question. We know that administering justice is core to our DNA. We know that's in us, our social responsibility, our helping of people, of lifting them up through the Domino Foundation, through Project Exodus, through Anthem Recovery. It's in our DNA. It's where our voice reverberates through the hallways of society beyond our natural ability. We know that worshiping our God musically is a core DNA for us. We know that leadership and producing church leaders has been a core DNA of Anthem over the years. Multiple churches in Durban have been established out of us. Multiple churches beyond Durban have been established. We know what our core DNA is. We know what our genetic code is. The question is, how do we bring what we've got into the formation and the organization of the growing and strengthening of our core DNA? You see, if increase is about also a quality of life, how do we take our, our musical worship that so many of us enjoy, but when there's an increase of people, how do we make it also that they would also have an increase in quality of life in their experience of this? Because it's not about our preference. It's about Jesus' church. And so these, these are where the where it really hits the road. It's not just a preach around, okay, well, we've, we've got the demarcations and it all, it all fits and it, it all sounds good on paper, but it will get into our heart because we have to ask those questions. We have to ask the questions about leadership and we say, Brad and Taryn, I don't know if, where they are, if they're in the building, uh, they're at the back, and uh, so Brad and Taryn, an eldership couple, and the Lord stirs on them to go and help a church plant in Lisbon. And by the orchestration of God, Taryn is the only child. No, not the only child that has a British passport. Andrew also has one, hey? But she has a British passport, so she's able to get residency. And God's gone before, and then Brad's business is able to support. And so like Priscilla and Aquila, they can go. But the first question that some people are thinking here is, what's happening? Why is an elder leaving? Because our disposition is not to honk encouragement. Our disposition is one of protecting our backside. And so in the DNA, in the core genetic code of what's going on here in Anthem, we have an elder that was, that was chosen in by God and recognized by the existing eldership team that in this couple resides a DNA that will strengthen and deepen the, deepen the genetic code of this church. And so boom, they go. And so our question should be, how can we support them? Because this is the strength and depth of what God is doing. And then we've got Paul and Evie. And again, questions are asked. What's going on with Rich and Paul? Why is Paul? No, because God's put something in the heart of the men that gather around us. There's a leadership and there's a thrust out into the, into the calling the, discipling the nations. 
I don't get why people always look at the negative. As, as Phil says, actually, you're annoying. I'm just being honest. But the Spirit of God can transform you, and I'm being optimistic. But this is our joy. This is our joy. We say, thank you, God, for 15 years of Paul and Evie on staff here. Thank you that 20 years ago he came into the youth and he met Jesus. Thank you that he's been part of the, the genetic code and the strength of this church and so that you've put something in him that at this point in time we can send them out. And how can we continue that journey? How can we continue to strengthen? This is a good thing. This is who we are. Sending people out to disciple the nations. How do we bring what we have got into the formation and the organization of the growing and strengthening of our core? You see, here's the deal. God has, has given us a land. But we've got to go and take it. And so God has provided. But he also calls us as his people to provide. And so what is in your hand? Skills. Expertise. Grace gifts. Finances. The list goes on. But what do you bring in? What do you provide into the story of Anthem? What honking are you doing for the goose in front of you? What honking are you doing for the goose behind you? What, who are you picking up in order that the story can continue, that you're helping them fly in formation so that we can all go 71% further than we could on our own? Number three, reconciliation. The third corner of our window. And I just start with this statement where I'm going to go with the scriptures. Sometimes our inconveniences are where we will see our greatest ministry. Sometimes our inconveniences are where we'll see our greatest ministry. Can I say this? I heard this the other day. I don't know if John told me this. or So I don't want to not give John credit. If it was John, he can claim it. It's not mine. Can we hold less to how we were born and more to how we were born again? So much of this language is, well, this is how I was born. This was my background. This was my... No, no, how were we born again? What was our ethnos? What is our ethnicity? No, we, we are around Christ. We are born again around Christ. It's not a black, white, economic education. It's, that is how we were born. How we are born again. The people of Jesus. The people of Jesus. It is a reconciliation story. The inconvenience. Inconveniences can cause us to check out of our calling. But if we have the right picture, inconveniences can be the place of our greatest ministry. Acts chapter 27, 33 to 36. Paul is, is held captive and he's going to go and present himself to a Roman ruler and uh, you'll recognize the story and he's on a ship and they're about to get shipwrecked. But the word of God has spoken to him. He knows what he's been called to. And so we pick it up in Acts 27, 33 to 36. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. That's all the people on the boat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Excuse me. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke 
uh, he broke it and began to eat, and they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. What's happened in the story we were hearing earlier about, actually, if we don't have a picture, if we don't have a call of God, we start to panic. So Paul knew that he was going to present to, I actually lose track of who he was presenting, Felix. I'm not sure who he was going to present to, but he was going to present to a Roman governor. He had that call, and so he's in the midst of the storm, but it's okay to him. He's busy eating, he's drinking, he's happy, because that's what wisdom, insight, and understanding leads to. But all these other guys are panicking, and he says, hey guys, for 14 days I've been eating on my own. Will you come and eat with me because you have a picture of what lies before? And so often what we do is we want, we, we don't trust. I, I said this this morning because I, I, it's so real to me in God's pattern. God gives leaders images and, and calls. And then he asks people to, to trust in that. And I know that that is hard. I know it's hard. But that's what he calls us to. And so I've sat with some people around this Cornubia move, and they've just said, Rich, I don't see it. Well, the reality is you don't actually have to see it. But do you trust this community, and do you trust the leadership of this community, and do you believe that there is enough that they are standing on in terms of the call of God, the Word of God, the partners in God? Is there enough surrounding that that says, hey, I I can trust the process? The goose at the back doesn't necessarily know where they're flying because the lead goose is leading them. He's just, flying in front of the, he's just flying behind the goose that's in front of him. He's flying behind the goose that's in front of him, and he's cheering on. But he's also going to go 71% further. You see, he could eat in the middle of the storm and encourage those stressed out by circumstances to eat likewise because he knew where he was going. Acts chapter 28, the story continues. Once safely on shore, he found out that the island was called Malta. That means kindness. The islanders showed, no, no, sorry, it means sweetness. Malta means sweetness. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. The church should be a place of unusual kindness. They built a fire And welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. And as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. And then the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. So this is what happens. Malta means sweetness. The testimony of the church should be unusually kind. The heat of the fire drove out the viper. When we are under the heat and the pressure of the church in the exposure and vulnerability of transition, as we are going towards this, what happens is there's, there's a pressure, there's a fire that comes, vipers start to come out. And if we aren't aware of it, we will allow them to fasten themselves onto us and the venom will get inside of us. We cannot live our life on public opinion because one moment we are condemned and the next moment we are gods. Our leadership is not going to be based upon whether the public opinion is whether this is a good idea or whether it is working at the pace that we expect it to to work or not working at the pace that we're not expecting it to work. We have a call from God 
and it is inconvenient, and whether we are there in 2025 or we're there in six months' time makes no difference to me. It's the fact that we are a pilgrim people on a journey with God, and He is busy forming us, and we will get there when God determines that we have transformed as a community and a people and taking hold of the things that we will be good for the people where we're moving to. That is when we will get there. Paul didn't have a budget. He had a calling. He didn't have a building. He had a calling. What seemed like an inconvenience in the shipwreck turned out to be his assignment. Could the inconvenience of packing up, could the inconvenience of having to provide, could the inconvenience of reconciliation, could the inconvenience actually be the assignment that God is calling us to? Could it be your assignment? As you bring what you bring to strengthen and deepen the genetic code or the genetic DNA of Anthem. Number four. The fourth corner. It's it's beyond the neighborhood. It's not about exclusion, it's about inclusion. We're moving to bigger. We're moving to where there's space for more. We are called to disciple the nations, but so often we've put that into the personal, individual context because that is what Western thinking does. You know, when Jesus said, um, go and disciple the nations, it's weird that Western theology has converted nations to individuals. When Jesus said, disciple the nations, he meant disciple the nation, the nations. So, get hold of people, lead them to Jesus put them together, and let the nation live under the blessing of God. But what happens in our Western philosophy and our Western thinking, and I say philosophy, not theology, because our philosophy is what determines the way we read the Scriptures, is that we've converted that into the individual, and therefore it it even means that, well, the gospel is for me, as opposed to for us. And because it's for me and not for us, through my primary lens, the increased components are not readily available and seen within our lives because we don't view it as being for us. We view it as for me. The church is to influence nations, but this takes coordination with other churches as part of the greater body. We've had Phil. We've had Robin Zummel. There is a coordination taking place. Hillsong writes incredible music. We don't have to invest all of our energy. We've got songwriters here, so it never stops us writing songs. But what we do produce is musos. We've always got musos. And Hillsong produce songs. And so we partner with Hillsong, and we, they help us in our worship. And Conrad and I were able to have breakfast with Phil and Lawrence this morning, and we were able to start introducing a conversation around recovery and what that could look like, as that's not their core space but it is ours. And so how does our tree give, tree give them shade and life, and how does their tree give us shade and life, and how do we partner together to disciple the nations? But this is one of the things that we have to do, is we have to discover the city's deficits, because God has put us on a mission to disciple the nation. If we're in Durban, we have to know what the deficits of Durban are. And so I don't know if you've ever gone to look on the Itekweni website to look at their state of the city address that comes out every year. So I'm going to help you. 
the top five challenges in 2020. Top five, as identified by the city leadership. Sexual behavior and teenage pregnancies. Substance and alcohol abuse. HIV and AIDS. Homelessness. Early childhood development. So we go, perfect. We've got substance and alcohol abuse. It's something that the city is, something that the city has identified as one of their, their second biggest need. We're going to do it. So what are we going to do? Well, actually, we're going to fly in formation because this is a, DNA, a core DNA of who God has made Anthem to be and uh, in the justice space. And so we're going to start flying in formation at that. It doesn't matter. No, that's going to be strong. We may have a different bent where substance abuse may not necessarily be your thing. That's okay. But it is something that God is putting on this church. And therefore, how can we add our weight into that story? Because that's what God is blessing amongst us together. It's not about us as the individual. It's about our collective work. Then we see early childhood development. We go, perfect. Domino Foundation is dealing with that. How can we get involved, Sean Tate and your entire team, Zanele and team? How can we get involved in that? How can we add wind? I, I, I personally have no particular interest in being involved with early childhood development. I've done that stint. But I recognize the importance of it. And so how can I get behind it? Because I recognize the grace of God over us in our core genetic makeup that we're putting our roots deeper so that our foliage may extend wider. If we want to disciple a nation, we've got to deal with what the nation is dealing with. We've got to say, God, what have you put in us? And what is the nation that we're in? Where's the match? That's where the gospel is going to start to penetrate because that's what Jesus is about. That's what his mission is. As he is redeeming humanity and redeeming creation. Isaiah 55, verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. A friend of mine uh, from the States told us this story. There were a group of us in September uh, down in George, and he told the story that he had a friend that was getting married. And he found it very odd that he didn't receive an invite. And he didn't receive it, and he didn't receive it, and then he started hearing that other people had received it, so he knew the invites were out. And it started to really work him up. He was like, I, I really think I should have been invited to your wedding. But he didn't have the conversation, and so he was getting worked up and worked up and worked up and worked up. Then he receives a phone call from the bride-to-be, and he is about to let fly, and she lets fly first. Woman always gets in first. And she says, why have you not RSVP'd? And suddenly he's taken back and says, well, I didn't receive the invite. And she goes, oh, well, I sent it with all the invites. It got lost in the delivery system. Jesus has given the church as a delivery system for the world to be invited to the wedding. And sometimes we're too busy protecting our backside, we're too busy circling the wagons 
and we're not prepared to go through the exposure and the vulnerability. We're not, a, we're not prepared to bring provision into that space. We're not prepared to do increase because increase brings complications. It means that we have to update the way we do things. It means all of these funny things that we have to now get reused to. And so we, we're not sure we want to do that. And what happens is that there is a, an invite that's gone missing in the post because we're sitting on it as opposed to extending it. I'll close with this. Amos, chapter 3, verse 3. The band can uh, come on up. Amos, chapter 3, verse 3. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? For me, this has two applications. One, can you walk with God unless you've agreed to walk with Him? And secondly, and the, the most obvious is, or can we walk with each other? And God has called us to the, His patterns. He has given us His ways. He has shaped us. There are, there are things that are common to every single group of people that call themselves the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, the communities of God that are forming. There are patterns that are consistent across the globe. And then he says, I want you to disciple nations. And so Anthem, in Durban, in 2020, this is your story, but you have to let go of some things in order to do what I need you to do. It's not, in 1970, you needed to move from Red Hill to Durban North. But in 2020, you need to move from Durban North to Cornubia. Are you prepared to do that for the mission of God? Are we going to walk with God? And then are we going to walk one to another, to say, this is who we are. This is the leadership. This is Rich and Jacks. This is the eldership team. We've got elders who are prepared to lay down their lives, and they're going to uproot their families, and they're going to head to Lisbon because they believe in church planting and establishing the gospel in Lisbon. And they're going to uproot their lives because God stirred in them. And they don't even yet, it's a faith walk. They don't even know yet where they're going to walk. But how can I honk behind Paul and Evie? And how can I cheer you on? And how can I say, let's go for it? And how can I provide resource and whatever and encouragement and whatever else is needed? for them to get into their story. How can I not do that? Because actually I've chosen to walk with you because we believe in the same thing. It's about God and His story. It's not about us and our story. And He puts us here and He's saying, Anthem 2020, will you renew your minds? Will you with wisdom, insight and understanding search out the things that God is doing in this season? And will you say, we will do that as we look at increase, as we look at reconciliation, as we look at provision, as we look at beyond the neighborhood and we see these four walls and we see the window and we see that it's beautiful and we don't know if it's a one by one or a two by two or a four by four size window. We don't know yet. But what we are going to do is we're going to put our roots down. We're going to bring what we have to the table. We're going to allow this thing to grow strong. And maybe it's a one by one to start, but it's going to grow into a two by two and grow into a three by three and a four by four as we go. But that's what we're signing up for. We've used some great terminology over the last year. Three of my favorites as I close out tonight is this. Awareness creates movement and movement creates momentum. We have been made aware, but I'm, I'm aware that this is, again, it's, it's a consolidated weekend, 30 hours or whatever we've spent together. And, and so we've been made aware again, and it, and it gives us the opportunity to create movement. We, we get to lean into the things that God's saying and saying, yeah, yeah, we're up for that. And so we start the movement. 
And as the movement begins, so the momentum begins. I love this statement. We're not being informed about our future, but we are being reformed for our future. And so why don't you, or will you not take this as information, but rather allow the Spirit of God to reform us? And then it's not about where we're going as much as it is about who we are becoming. And so who are you becoming? Who are we becoming? What is happening in your organization, the organization of your inner world and your spirit world? What is happening in your organization today that six months from now must stop? And what is not happening in your organization today in your inner world that in six months must have started? Can we stand together?